Hey there, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Johnny Young, aka Johnny E. Upgrade with us today, joining us from Southern California. Now Johnny is the author of Don't Hack and also the founder of CyberDTV, the first streaming service dedicated to cybersecurity. So welcome, Johnny. Thanks, Rajiv. I really uh, appreciate you inviting me to your show. I'm a big fan, and uh, I've listened to many of your shows. Very inspiring and motivational for me, I've got to say that. Thank you. So why don't we begin with uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself in your own words? Okay, I've been doing... Uh, a lot of interviews because last month, October, was Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And one of the things people asked me was, how did I get interested in cybersecurity? Now, I'm a senior citizen. I'm 62 years old. And when I first started getting interested in, in computers, that was only science fiction. There were no <laughs> PCs had not been invented. There was no internet. And uh, what happened was I basically started out on the wrong side of the law when I was a teenager. I had read an article in Esquire magazine in 1972 about these uh, people. It was a community called Phone Freaks. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Manipulate the phone system to get free phone calls. And... I did that without consequence for a couple of years and just thought it was a big joke. And eventually two FBI agents showed up at my grandmother's house, wondering who was making all these unbillable calls. And uh, I was across the country in California and a team of FBI agents showed up around the neighborhood asking who was making all these phone calls from the community pool because that's how I was doing it. I obviously wasn't doing it for my own, you know, phone. Right. And I was scared straight, man. I just decided at that point, I was not going to do anything illegal because uh, what I thought was a joke actually turned out to be a, a felony called interstate theft of services that both AT&T and the FBI were taking very seriously. And each charge against me could have carried up to a 10-year prison sentence and they had over 50 charges against me now how i got lucky you know it was my first real break in life was that president nixon had resigned the vietnam war was going on so there was a lot of demonstrations and the fbi had their hands full so for them i was small potatoes and they just let it go but what happened was i said to myself myself there's got to be another way to to do something with this because now i saw there's two sides of the coin there's the people that are breaking law and there's the people that are enforcing the law and i saw maybe i had a career doing that and that's what happened i started uh, at an ibm sponsored uh, program for basically underprivileged kids that was a year long and I learned four programming languages. And from that, I wound up going into the job world. Now, obviously, I, you know, I went out there with big dreams. I was going to be a programmer and reality hit very soon because I couldn't get a job. You know, the only companies that had uh, computers in those days were 
the giants like IBM and, um, you know, Boeing and places like that. So basically, uh, I had a job working in a hotel laundry in the basement, sweating every night while I went to school during the day. And eventually I broke in as a computer operator at a place that um, needed a, a night shift guy. So I worked the midnight shift to 8 a.m. because no one wanted to work that shift. So my main job was doing backups. And then my second job was loading printers with paper. So from that lowly beginning, Within six years, I was the network director for a $41.8 billion project uh, building airplanes at McDonnell Douglas in Long Beach, California. And that's when I started to sweat the second time because of what I'd done as a teenager, because I needed to get uh, an above top secret, I guess, clearance. And what a shock. I, I found out the FBI was investigating me again. <laughs> I had to fill out all these forms and they went back to my neighborhood where I grew up in New York and were asking questions about me. But what happened was the people there, you know, it had been 10 years, so no one really knew or cared what I was doing and it wasn't really well known. So I got the job. That was my second lucky break. And I've had a 35 plus year career in cybersecurity and I'm very, very happy to do it. That was the best decision I ever made in my life. And I encourage anyone who thinks that hacking is cool and glamorous just to drop it. You know, you can make so much more money working on uh, the right side of the law. You'll get a great education, great benefits, and you'll actually be contributing to society. Your family will be proud of you. And that's what happened with me. I, uh, I have no regrets. Um, hacking is a very short-lived career <laughs> with, uh, I guess, uh, not much chance of advancement because even if a hacker does succeed and they pull off a million job, million dollar job with a couple of other hackers, who knows what can happen? They might decide that, you know, I wasn't making a, enough of a contribution and, you know, that's when violence happens and, and they take each other out. So, I was very blessed to do what I'm doing now. And now my mission is to help as many people get into the field as possible, because right now there's over 4 million vacant cybersecurity jobs that corporations and governments just can't fill. And to put that in perspective, there's over 30,000 websites that are getting hacked every single day. And that sounds like an impossible amount, right? 30,000 Mm -hmm. websites would hear about it, right? Well, when you consider there's 1.88 billion registered websites in the world, <laughs> you could do 30,000 websites and hack those for 20 years and still not, you know, right. touch, touch all of them. So mathematically and statistically, 30,000 websites is just a drop in the bucket. But what I did during my career was I worked for blue chip companies and and prevented data breaches and, and uh, you know, kept hackers out basically at the highest level. I worked for IBM's cloud division. I was a cybersecurity expert there. I won't say I was the top expert, but I was definitely one of them. And I trained so many people over the years that I came up with techniques to be able to shorten folks' learning curves so that they're not 
struggling with some of these concepts because it's so high level uh you could really you know spin around in circles and what i would do is i'd relate those concepts to everyday life and they'd pick up on the imagery and and uh, that turned out to be my passion i would have a ton of work and someone on my team would would need help and uh, i knew it would make me stay at you know 10 o'clock at night if i went in any depth and, and train them but i would just push everything aside and and go through everything because it turned out to be i had more fun and more self-satisfaction helping them learn and and move up than i did doing you know the regular job and that's not really typical in our industry in many ways we've got a lot of like knowledge hoarders and people that that are very proud that they have gotten where they've gotten so they're not too eager to you know let's say spread their knowledge to other people or maybe worried someone else will take their job or something else but i never worried about that i just thought i became a better person by helping others and that's how it always turned out you know and and whenever i ran into some difficulties you know last minute patches or something happened security wise i always had people that would help me do things at the last minute and it, you know i think a lot of it was my good karma absolutely from, absolutely from, from just sharing and being willing to help others you know and that's what i would encourage anyone getting into our business to do is of course get yourself established but once you do be as generous as possible with others and definitely don't burn any bridges because the bridge you burn behind you might be the one you need to get back <laughs> and go somewhere else because what happened with me was uh, i told you about that rotten job i had working in the hot smelly laundry uh, basement of a hotel well the lady that plucked me out of that position i would start working at a small company with only 15 people in it but she wound up going to a company with over 250,000 employees and she reached out and took me with her so within two years i went to, from a company with 15 employees to one with over 250,000 employees and that's where i I got my big break in about 1984. And I think that, uh, you know, you never know what can happen in life. If people are open to an opportunity, you know, what looks like something that's not that great, an entry-level position in a 15-person company for almost no money. In two years, I doubled my salary, worked for a highly recognized company and uh my career path was laid out like the yellow brick road in the wizard of oz <laughs> and that's what happened you know they trained me they sent me to schools um you know i got my hands on computer equipment like one of the supercomputers i had was worth four million dollars where could i ever play with equipment like that right and that's what i say to hackers too you know that deconstructing things is one is one way to go but you never get to really play with the toys that i've played with and really learn how to configure stuff like sniffers routers servers work with thousands of people on a single machine and, and really be part of a big community with a hacker situation you're there with your pc and it's sort of a dead end 
So that's why I would say if someone's interested in any type of computer-related activities, you know, go to school and, and learn stuff or, or use any social connections that they have with family, friends, go to seminars, because uh, there really is no university of hacker town. <laughs> right. And there's been tens of thousands of dollars at least spent on my education and millions of dollars of salary for me to get to where I got to. So if a hacker does a, a million dollar scam by themselves, they've always got to look over their shoulder because the feds aren't going to give up. They're going to keep looking for them. If you depreciate that over 10 years, that's only $100,000 a year, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody in our industry can make $100,000 a year or more once you get you know, past the the earliest stages. I mean, even the entry level people are making in the fifty and sixty thousand uh, dollar a year mark. So hacking is definitely not the way to go. And and specifically, hackers are giving money back now. I don't know if you knew that because they're so scared that people are coming after them that they're actually returning money that they've successfully got from ransomware just to say, hey, you know, leave us alone. Mm -hmm. But it's gotten so bad that uh, 250 American hospitals last year paid over $100 million in ransom to get their records unlocked. And that's only the ones that, you know, were in America. This is a worldwide problem. And, uh, you know, it's just increasing. But I think there's people like me where I felt that helping one person, helping 10 people, helping a company of a thousand people, you know, that's, that's fine. But I could spread the message out to so many other people who then could help other people. And that's why I wrote my book, Don't Hack. And I spent four years on it. I hope that it'll become sort of a definitive um, early cybersecurity book, because it's uh, written at a level that anyone can understand. I, I didn't really go that deep technically, but I made it so that people could understand the concepts, just like the way I trained people at IBM and all the other places I was at. So I think anybody that, that picks that up will get it. And if you're not a reader, someone can subscribe to my CyberD TV streaming service, which I call it's like netflix for cybersecurity. it's the first streaming service dedicated to cybersecurity training for the general public and i do a ton of videos there helping people with stuff on the personal side of the life like keeping their kids safe on the internet uh, keeping uh, elderly people safe identity theft all of those things that are really plaguing society that made cybersecurity a mainstream issue. But then I also have over a hundred videos right now and growing of corporate training that I talk about things that people don't really understand yet, uh, but they will with words like server hardening and network penetration testing, IP scanning, um, you know, going to backups, data center management, failovers, redundant systems, all the stuff that's behind the curtain that I 
pull back so that people can understand exactly, you know, what is going on there. Because hackers have no idea what they're facing. You know, they're basically they're they're shooting a giant in the toe right now, <laughs> and they're causing him to stumble because. The problem is people are getting caught at the lower level at these phishing type expeditions. And when I say phishing, they're opening emails that allow a hacker to get into their PC. And that's how these uh, you know, companies get their records locked with ransomware because these folks happen to have access to certain records, but no one's getting on our servers. No one's cracking routers and... <laughs> you know, getting in, it's, it's actually people who have legitimate credentials. So that's one of my missions is to raise cybersecurity awareness because I feel companies aren't doing that great a job yet at training their employees because a single data breach can result in millions. And I even saw one for a phar pharmaceutical company that cost them, they said $2 billion in loss of productivity. So once that's sealed up a lot more, hackers are really going to have to struggle to get in at my level because we, we definitely seal up all the exposures. We've got policies, processes, and procedures through change control that makes it very hard for them to, to find an opening, you know. But if they have legitimate credentials, what can we do? <laughs> you know, if, if they hack someone who has an HR um access they can get into hr servers and to us at our level it will just seem like someone doing their normal work unless uh, they do something like start um uploading a gigabyte of information and then it'll raise some red flags but if they do it in dribs and drabs which happened at equifax you know over a period of four months then it's really hard to catch that because we don't really, you know, mm -hmm. have any, anything we can do because there was all legitimate credentials. And, uh, you know, that, I, that's my mission is to, to just raise the general public's awareness so that they don't start opening emails and, and giving away the uh, keys to the kingdom. In fact, you don't even need a key. What they do is they open the front door. <laughs> you know, they leave the door open. So... You know, it makes it tougher for us at the network level, but it'll change. Trust me, that'll change. And that's what Cyber D TV is all about. It's a subscription service. After the free trial, it's $9.99 a month. So people can get an incredible amount of information that took me 35 years to get for less than 10 bucks a month. So, you know. So where do people access... Uh... Uh, go in order to access your streaming service? I've had apps written across every platform. So they can go on Apple, Apple Store, Google Play, any one of those. I mean, they I have Amazon Fire Stick it works for, Roku. So it'll be an app there. They can also go to my website that'll redirect them right to... Um, the subscription service is uh, cyberd.tv. Mm -hmm. And from there, they can, they can uh, join up or they can just do a free trial. And I also have collections that I unlock for free. I have uh, tips for seniors that 
how they can stay safe. And, and I never will charge for those. Like I said, I'm a senior citizen myself. So seniors have a special place in my heart. And I've had um, interviews with uh, some senior organizations and, and uh, you know, it's been very nice. That's where I get the most satisfaction is helping people that may not be able to get that helping hand because it's very confusing, you know? I have to say, when I was growing up, there was not even an answering machine on the phone. <laughs> you know, the phone would ring 50 times and you just have to wait for that thing to stop ringing before you, uh, you know, get some, you know, get some peace and quiet <laughs> or take it off the hook or something. Right. But all of that didn't exist. So for someone that's in their 60s or 70s, all of this, you know, is new. They don't know anything about, email many of them or being online like my dad is super resistant to uh having a smartphone he has a flip phone even and my mom has uh, an ipad but she really doesn't use it that much and they're pretty reflective of the community because it's not something that they really are that interested in you know they just uh, didn't i saw my my, my grandmother she was resistant to a touch tone phone. <laughs> she liked the rotary phone that had the dial that you spun around and she was frustrated that now she had to punch buttons. She liked to do the, the dial and, and watch it spin. So every generation has to deal with some kind of technological leap. And I think the kids of today have a super big advantage because they're born into it. And a lot of people don't realize the first iPhone didn't even come out till 2007. So this whole technology is only 14 going on 15 years old. But if you're a teenager to you, it seems like it's been around for hundreds of years. You know, why doesn't everybody know about it? So they're going to face their challenges, though, trust me. Once it comes down to stuff like holograms and, you know, I can't even imagine the technology. I wish I could see 50 years ahead with their eyes what they're going to see you know the people that i'm training it'll just be a beautiful thing right but that's the way it works every technology builds on the next and uh every generation complains that <laughs> you know the new technology isn't needed but obviously it is and i saw really a big development in medical technology but i didn't see the same development in stuff that I had been expecting. Cause when I was nine years old, I saw a guy fly into the Super Bowl stadium on a jetpack, And I thought everyone was going to be flying around with jetpacks soon. And look, you know, 60 years, 50 years later, we're still not uh, flying on jetpacks. I guess they knew how to take off, but they didn't know how to land so well. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, technology that didn't take off and hovercrafts and flying cars and all of that but you know eventually that, that'll come elon musk is doing a lot with the self-driving car so i guess those are the first steps and now a lot of that technology is coming to the fore so you know over the years how have you seen in your view you know how has uh, cybercrime as well as the defenses against cybercrime evolved just in the last two years from 2020 to 2021 and counting with the pandemic, I've seen an explosion in cybercrime. And I'll tell you why. People say uh, 
Necessity is the mother of invention, but I say desperation is the mother of necessity. Why do these people had no income? They found they could go on the dark web and pick up a program that they didn't even know how to program themselves or anything. And that would snoop out some uh, exposed networks and they could find some other software that once you're in could look for uh, servers to exploit. And that's what started happening, you know, whether it was PCs or, um, you know, confidential information on company servers, it's just gone through the roof. And that's why I, I saw a big explosion in the other direction with companies that used to consider jobs like mine as overhead, um, because it, nothing really ever happened with cybersecurity. For years and years and years, it was just very dormant and then all of a sudden companies started getting hit the news media was covering it and people came to realize hey you know identity theft can affect me and my children can be uh, you know targeted by predators online and seniors are getting scammed by social security scams and medicare scams and and stuff that really terrifies them so it's just increased exponentially in the last two years. So before that, it, you know, there were viruses. When I first started, I remember I saw it go over 10,000 viruses. I was like, wow, that's a lot of viruses. And then it was, before I knew it, it was like 400,000 variations of viruses. And that was in the 1990s. Now it's in the probably tens of millions. But that was one of the jobs I did. I was right at the cutting edge of that. I started when the only way to install antivirus was on PCs one at a time or using an image where you copy a hard drive and just put it in in uh, every PC that you configure it's already done but I was there when we were building the first servers that would disperse antivirus to the PCs and that changed everything you know but a lot of companies don't force updates so people will be uh, liable to a brand new phishing um, or malicious software type exploit. And the reason is, is because they don't update every time it says, would you like to update it? They say no, because <laughs> they figure it's taking too much time away from their day job, slows it down. I've heard every reason in the book, but the best thing a company can do is if person is getting on their network an employee, they need to force updates for a certain software like antivirus for sure. You know, antivirus is the umbrella term, but every form of malicious software comes under that umbrella now. And uh, definitely VPN, you know, VPN, I don't know if many people know about that, but VPN virtual private network creates a tunnel from the uh, PC through the internet right to the company so that hackers don't see the addresses. They can't, you know, sniff out packets and look for passwords and stuff because it's all uh, encrypted. So VPN must be updated and, uh, you know, operating system has to be updated too. If someone has an operating system vulnerability, you know, that's bad news. So a company should force updates when a person logs on, they should get a message, 
you know, sit back because we're updating your <laughs> updating your software. Otherwise, just, you know, come back later. Otherwise, you know, because companies are really uh, open to a lot of exposures. Now, I know small and medium sized companies may have trouble with that, but there's software out there that can help them. Uh, do that when i first started that would have to be an in-house thing where you'd have to have programmers sense every uh log into the network and then send messages out there but with the explosion of cybercrime, there has to be a corresponding explosion in cybersecurity. and uh, i see i've seen an, an explosion in cybersecurity insurance and i'm still wondering what that's all about you know i'm i'm wondering how that's going to flood our court system as companies get breached and then they try to get paid from cybersecurity insurance companies who say, hey, that was your fault. That was outside the policy. But that's uh, something, you know, keep an eye on, Rajiv, for later for yourself. You'll see uh, it's a burgeoning industry and it's going to be worth billions and billions of dollars. But I'm not convinced that um, it's really ready for prime time. I think a lot of companies that are in that industry, their best skills are in marketing, <laughs> not yet in, in uh, really doing anything. And a company that would be great for cybersecurity insurance is one that would also go in there and have to look at the cybersecurity defense posture of the company that they're insuring. If they just start writing policies, you know, it's just setting up these court battles um, in the frying print. And I think uh, that's really where the future is for companies if they have that kind of integration where they have multi-level of, uh, you know, they check out the company's defense. They can even put their own employees there to help with that. And then they provide the policy too. I mean, you know, corporations will grow like crazy. That, this cybersecurity insurance, the government, I mean, cybersecurity itself, the government surveys have said will be a trillion dollar industry within the next five years. And I think that might be actually a little low, but a trillion dollar industry, <laughs> that's a thousand times a billion. Right. So there's a thousand companies with the potential to be billion dollar companies out there. And I think there's a good chance maybe the you know, one of the first real trillionaires in the world, or maybe one of the first five will come from cybersecurity, because uh, there's going to be a lot of leapfrogs, as people realize what's going on and investors jump in too. And, uh, you know, they start investing in these different companies. The trick, of course, is, are you going to invest in Facebook? Or are you going to invest in MySpace? Are you going to invest in Spotify? Or are you going to invest in Pandora? You know, so for every winner company, there's probably 10 losers. And that's where the investors have to parse that out. And that's one of my markets, too, is investors. They're going to learn a lot if they just learn some of the fundamentals about cybersecurity. They'll be able to learn the vocabulary and and uh, go into these meetings and be able to, to understand what's going on, because otherwise it would be over <laughs> everyone's head at that point. You know, it's a lot of it's smoke and mirrors, these presentations that people give. I've gone to cybersecurity seminars and I walked out and I was like, what did they say? You know, they didn't really say anything. They just said that they could provide services and right. it's a good idea to buy them. 
but getting back to your initial question, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a nascent in industry. It got worse during the pandemic because people were so desperate. They had time on their hands. And as the future is growing on, you know, anytime there's a legitimate industry, there's a sister industry in crime too. We've seen it with every single, if there's a jewelry industry, there's a jewelry robber, you know, organization. If there is a gambling industry, you know, there's a gambling crime organization. So literally everything you can think of has a criminal aspect that's trying to uh, penetrate, even the food supply chain. You know, we've got people that are trying to hack into the supply chain and disrupt that and utilities. We've got, uh, you know, Eastern Europeans are making the biggest inroads, but they're actually trying to shut down our utilities and and create havoc there. So, you know, just like the flip side of the coin for me, when I got in my trouble as a teenager and realized that it's better to be on the side of the law than be the one that the law is, you know, checking out and trying to find, uh, that's where the money's really going to be is, is in cybersecurity defense. All right. So your book, you know, don't hack. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and where can people find it? It's coming out this month right now. It's uh, November 3rd of 2021. It's going to come out at the end of this month on Amazon. I'm not printing anything. My whole framework of what I did was I decided not to have any inventory, not to have any printing costs. Everything was going to be electronic. Everyone these days that's interested in our field, you got to be able to open a, you know, an ebook. That's that's you know simple. I, I think it would save a lot of paper and a lot of waste. So that's how I'm going to do it. And people that join CyberD TV are going to get a discount of half price. So it'll you know I'm looking at 19.99 for the book on Amazon, which is half price of the ones that you know, sort of attempt to, to do it. And uh, people on my subscription service can get it for $9.99. But I got to say, the ones that I've looked at don't really know what it's like to be in the trenches of cybersecurity. <laughs> you know, it's more of an ivory tower theoretical thing. And they talk about cryptography and programming and, you know, stuff like that, which is so high level. That's really a small fraction of our industry. Our industry, you know, cybersecurity defense isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a grind. Every day you go in there is a day that you can be breached if you're not careful. And you don't win at the end of the day. All you did was you got through the day. And I think once people realize that, they'll understand that you know, companies are hiring people with no college degrees right now. They're hiring people with no cybersecurity experience. In fact, they're hiring people with like almost no computer experience because they want to train them the way they want them to be trained. And if you come from another company, a lot of times people bring bad habits with them. So for an entry-level job, one of these 4 million ones that I'm talking about, a company will have a clean slate to work with and we need people to fill up these holes it's almost like a dam you know has four million holes in it we need people to plug those holes and uh, we definitely uh, need a 
civilian civilian team of people that are into cybersecurity. And it's not my idea. You know, I've read that before that people have said we need a, a bunch of so civilians. They called it an army, but my I was in the military and my military friends get upset. <laughs> They're like, you know, that we'd call it an elite team or something. But I, I really feel our country is in bad shape. Um, you know, our our homeland security in a country of only of, of 330 million people, we only have 240,000 people that work for Homeland Security. And of those, those 240,000, there's only something like 20,000 or so that work on cybersecurity. Does that make sense to anybody? You know, they're saying that it's, it gives them the ability to be agile and make, you know, moves really quick. But to my mind, all that says is they're super underfunded because if you look at some of these executive orders that come out, um, which I've done, I've written articles actually, or, or been quoted on some of them, that you know the responsibility is getting placed for the for a lot of this at the director of Homeland Security, and I can't believe that they're not you know expanding this to you know millions of people that work for it because. There's millions and millions of hackers out there and 20,000 people are going to stop hackers that are, that are doing this. I, I think that'll turn around, but we have to get a, a couple of rude awakenings and hopefully it won't be too painful because I like to eat. If someone disrupts this, the food chain, <laughs> you know, starvation isn't something I would like to see. And you've even seen, and I've seen just with the COVID, how empty shelves happen in a matter of days and i learned about that whole philosophy from being in an aerospace company they call it just in time um, and jit where parts or in this case food makes it just in time and you're able to stock the shelves just in time so there's no inventory and that saves these companies a lot of money well what happens if you know say the food supply chain is disrupted we've seen the shelves clear out on toilet paper and stuff like that what happens if it's food you know that's my worst nightmare is that something big will happen where hackers will do something like that it's not that hard unfortunately for all of us uh, and we see fast food restaurants are ubiquitous every other corner has a fast food restaurant in america every city has grocery stores everywhere and restaurants so americans don't stock up on food and in california i do because i have pets as you can see here's my my parrot scarlet but you know i have to think about my my pets so i have um you know earthquake prep stuff and i think in a lot of places they're going to have to start doing that with climate change because it's not only earthquake Earthquakes that can cause problems, but you know all these other climate change effects will, you know, make people rethink about stocking up on basic supplies like water, food, and medicine. And uh, you know, hackers are going to go for the weakest point, the Achilles heel in our society. And I've written articles about this. What my dirty dozen was first was food. 
The others were power. We've got 84,000 dams in the United States and people live very close to them. Can you imagine if hackers got into the controls of that and closed off the spillways that relieved the pressure and the dams burst? You know, one of the world's largest dams in China is going to burst because of just, uh, you know, architectural flaws, I guess, and, and the amount of rain that they've been getting. So, you know, there's so many things that hackers can do. A nuclear plant, I live less than 10 miles from a nuclear plant for 40 years. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want a hacker to learn on the job. <laughs> you know, you can't go in there and, and start running the controls for a nuclear plant and be confident as a hacker that you're going to be able to keep the levels correct on, on how to uh, make sure it doesn't melt down. Nuclear weapons, there's at least 10 countries in the world that have nuclear capabilities. And I'm not so sure that every one of them has solid security controls. And hackers can target those too. Our transportation systems, they turn out the lights, uh, you know, traffic lights. Suddenly we're having car crashes. And, you know, the railroads are all on electrical. And, and that's like a Swiss watch, the way that the railroads run, you know, one is passing and another one comes by in a minute. So if a hacker starts messing with that, you know, you'd see train accidents like you know we've seen only in the movies right i think there's a lot of scary things out there that people thank god you know don't really know about because it's ignorance is bliss in a lot of ways but it keeps me up at night and i wish our our government would fund you know this effort a lot more i hope it doesn't take some kind of tragedy for it to happen but oh well you know We'll see. It's a, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease is what they say. Yep. And uh, if there's a bad thing that happens, then that's when they suddenly throw um, a lot of resources. And in, in the corporate world, it was like, we didn't have money to do it right the first time, but, you know, we're going to spend all it takes to fix it. And I think that's our, our attitude in a lot of ways right now towards cybersecurity is you know, we're going to fix it after the problem. And I saw that in business for many years that executives, when they started laying people off and cutting costs, they did it in cybersecurity because there was not much happening. Now that it's in the public and they realize it can affect their jobs, they don't do that, you know, but I hope, you know, I pray that that doesn't happen for our society in some of the instances I told you, because it's, yeah. So, Johnny, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for enlightening okay. us about uh, cybersecurity and the need for it. And you're absolutely right. You know, as days pass by, as uh, technology gets more complex, the more the need for ways and means of uh, keeping ourselves secure. Before I let you go, one takeaway for the listeners, anything that you'd like to share? I'd like to reiterate again that they need to become more aware of cybersecurity because cybersecurity, if you consider it a game, okay, there's an offense, which are the hackers, and there's the defense, which is people like me. And if cybersecurity was a game, it would be the biggest game in the world. It would be bigger than the NFL, baseball, NHL, 
World Cup soccer combined as a trillion dollar industry. And we need people in our industry. And anybody can get in right now. It may not be the case in, in five, 10 years. Companies may be more stringent. You know, you see the wish lists on certain jobs that companies put out there and they're totally unrealistic. But in cybersecurity, they're a lot more lenient right now. And people don't need to have the programming skills. They don't need to have a college degree. They just need to have a, an awareness and a passion for it. So, you know, hashtag cybersecurity, hashtag cybersecurity jobs, hashtag cybersecurity defense, meet like-minded people, learn as much as, as you can about it. And you could start a fantastic career that could span as long as mine or even longer. I didn't get into the field till I was like 24 because there was no field. <laughs> And uh, now people can start when they're in their teens and 20s. And I think there's, uh, you know, there's nothing more important than that. In fact, my niece is interested in, I, I was curious, I said, why are you interested in cybersecurity? And she said, cybersecurity is everything. So I think she's more aware than a lot of people are. So for any of your listeners out there, if they're, a grandparent, you know, talk to your grandkids about it, buy a subscription, not just for my cybersecurity, you know, cyber DTV, but buy them books on cybersecurity, buy, you know, get them interested somehow. Um, you know, if you're a person that's in IT already, get a layer of cybersecurity defense knowledge that'll only enhance your value. You'll stay in the business longer. The companies will want you uh, pay you more money and right now companies have to be really uh you know smart about it because cybersecurity people have so many options that if a company doesn't want to pay market value or above they're not going to land the best people so they're they've come to the realization that you know it's a very valuable thing and like i said it's it's a game it's fan you know i can't I can't tell you how exciting it is sometimes to do things in this field. You know, there's a lot of stress at times, but there's a lot of satisfaction too. You know, when you seal up exposures, you come up with solutions. You know, I could talk about some of the things that were high points in my career that, you know, I still think about today uh, that make me smile. And I think people that get into this field will experience some of the most satisfact satisfactory uh, you know, events of a career that they could possibly get. And uh, you know, that's what I'll leave your listeners with, is I'll be long gone, but I'm hoping that uh, I'm like the guy that plants the seed that never really sees the tree fully blossom, you know? But I'll be, I'll be happy because I thought my chance to be a great contributor to society had passed me by working as a corporate man, you know, for 35 years. And this is my chance to help society. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that we can get people in there to, to sort of squelch this before it gets too out of control. And, and we have some of these tragedies that I was talking about. So thank you, Rajiv, for giving me the platform to talk about this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, as I said, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, 
And I think every year it's going to get bigger and bigger because it's just started. And, Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing this with us and uh, wish you all the best as you continue on your journey. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Take care.